to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. I'm going to preach this morning a message very simple. Catch your attention. Thank you. Called the donkey. And no, I'm not going to talk about Shrek. I was preparing for this message, all I could hear in my head was donkey, donkey. If you've never watched Shrek, like you are not cultured yet. You have to go watch Shrek, okay? And then you'll be cultured, and then your life will be complete. I'm just kidding. How many of you watch Shrek? Okay, if you got kids, you watch Shrek. Okay, so anyway, that's all I could think about was uh, Shrek. Anyway, we're not going to talk about Shrek, but we are going to talk about the donkey today, and uh, I think this is going to be an effective uh, passage, an effective message, particularly. If you are here today and you are not saved, so I'm going to just be honest with you. It's good to be honest in church. This this message is um, has you in mind, okay? So let's get into it. Let's just take advantage of the time. Exodus chapter 34, verses 19 through 20. This is God speaking. All that open the womb are mine, and every male firstborn among your livestock, whether ox or sheep. Now this is just all of a sudden out of the blue. This is weird. But... The firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem him, then you shall break his neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. In other words, when you come before God, you're supposed to come with something. You need to come with the praise. You need to come with the worship. You need to come with an adoration. You need to come with your tithes. You need to come with your gifts and say, God, how do you want me to serve? That's pretty good, isn't it? All right, thank you. Have a seat. Um, Let me see if I can explain this to you. This this is a very important concept, so we're going to start right out the gate. There is a concept in the Bible called the principle of the firstborn. The principle of the firstborn. And for those of you who are in life groups, you will be studying about this if you haven't already. In the Old Testament, God claimed all the firstborn males for himself. I'm not going to try to explain all this, but if you go all the way back to Egypt, the 10th plague, you remember that the death angel came through Israel or, or Egypt and killed all the Egyptian firstborn, but all the other firstborn of Israel lived because they took a lamb, the Passover lamb, killed it, put the blood on the sides of the door and on the lintel, on the posts. And by the way, when you sprinkle that, what does that make the sign of? The sign of the cross. And so there you see the cross in that Old Testament image and the cross, the blood was shed. So you kind of see that. So that's why there's this principle of the firstborn and why God claimed the firstborn males. He claimed every firstborn male in the nation of Israel and every firstborn male among the livestock that were ceremonially clean. So let me explain this to you. A lot of you know this. Some of you may have never heard this. So put a, make a, put a column, put a line and create two columns. You with me? Over here in the Bible, the Old Testament, you had ceremonially clean animals and ceremonially unclean animals. The ceremonially clean animals were animals that could be used for sacrifices to God in the temple. So you had lambs, goats, 
uh, or sheep, goats, oxen, cattle, all right? Then over this category, you had unclean animals, like pigs. Pigs were unclean, all right? Thank God in the New Testament, all that has been wiped away. And now you can eat pig. Thank God for barbecue. That's all this southern boy has to say about that. Thank God for barbecue. And all the barbecue lovers said, yes, I knew you were out there. Okay, and so you have these two. So here's the category, clean animals, unclean animals. All the clean animals, if you had a firstborn male, say a lamb was born, that lamb was supposed to be sacrificed to God. It, it, so you'll know that this is important. 16 times in the scriptures, God lays claim to the firstborn. 16. Is this important? Yes. If God says something 16 times, then you have to pay attention to it. Now, according to the Lord, the firstborn was to be either sacrificed or redeemed. All right, I'm, I'm going to lay a foundation. Y'all with me? Sacrificed or redeemed. Now, of course, humans were never sacrificed. So all the firstborn males had to be redeemed. So the parents would take money, go to the temple, and give money to the temple for the redemption of their firstborn sons. However, all of the firstborn males of the ceremonially clean animals were to be sacrificed, offered in an act of worship to God on an altar, and they were cleansed. Okay? So far, so good. Then... As you read that, you come to the verse 20, there's this one exception, the donkey. Now, the donkey was an unclean animal. And so here's what God said. It didn't qualify to serve as a sacrifice offering to God. You wouldn't kill a donkey and burn it on an altar. So God said the firstborn male of a donkey had to be redeemed with the sacrifice of a clean spotless lamb. Now, y'all are smart. You see where this is going, don't you? Unclean animal redeemed by a spotless lamb. If the owner chose not to redeem the firstborn male of the donkey, he was commanded by God to break its neck and kill it. All right, here, so, so, so that we're all on the same page, here we go. A clean animal had to give its life to redeem an unclean animal. The only way to avoid death for your uncleanness was to be redeemed. Now, how many of you know that all through the Old Testament, you read these things, and then as your knowledge grows, you understand that just about all of it is representative of greater truths in the New Testament. All of these, I, a couple Sundays ago, I, I preached a message and took you back, showed you the symbolism that is all through the Old Testament. Because some of that stuff, y'all, I read it and I think, what in the world is all this about? But when you find the truth, the reality behind the shadows, these were shadows of reality that we have in this new covenant with Jesus Christ. So I'm going to try to explain it to you. What we are seeing is an Old Testament representation of the salvation that is available to us through Jesus Christ. So the donkey is a type or a symbol of a sinful person. See, let me explain. A sinner 
is unclean before God, just like the donkey is unclean before God, but we are unclean before God because we have a sinful nature. We are born in sin. We live a sinful lifestyle. So I'm going to show you three things. One, a sinful person is unfit to stand before a holy God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're separated. Um, there are people... Um, there's a man in the church, he's sitting here right now, and he didn't know when he was telling me this, but he was helping my sermon. We, he and I were talking yesterday about a man that we both know that grew up in a highly religious atmosphere and actually was in an atmosphere where there were competitive religious organizations, and he had just sour completely on religion, like totally turned off. And then he, he doesn't live for Jesus. He's not saved, okay? And, and so, but he thinks that if he just lives a good life, and I guess he gets to set the standard for what that good life is. Then when he dies, he's going to get to go to heaven. Now that sounds great if it were true. But the problem is it's not true. Now you say, well, Pastor, you sound awful confident. You sound sort of authoritative, authoritative here. You know, what, what are you doing? I, well, look, excuse me. I'm not being authoritative. I'm just going back to the authority, which is God's word. And by the way, when I speak, you hear my thoughts, Right? When I speak, you know what I'm thinking. That's why when you go to the Bible, you know what God's thinking. You don't have to guess what God thinks about something. Just read what he said, and you'll know what he thinks. Read what he said, and you'll know what he thinks. That, that is good right there. Get a hold of that. Okay, so, so you, you say, well, I'll just be a good person, and I'll go to heaven. That's not how it works. God said that's not, that's not how it works. You aren't good. You aren't good. You, don't, you can't make yourself good. You need some help, and I'm the only one that can do it. Okay. And another thing we need to understand is that sin blocks any access to God. Isaiah 59.2 says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. Just, just a couple weeks ago, uh, when I went out to Phoenix for the Clemson game versus Ohio State, we, we, Lee and Jaron and I made a little trip of it. Jaron kind of took the lead. I'm so glad he did. We had a great time. But I got to go to the Grand Canyon. Never, I'd never been to the Grand Canyon. And how many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Let me see your hand. Okay, so a lot of you have been. I right, put your hands up. For those of you who have not been, you, you know, because you know, it's like this really big canyon. Okay, it's, it's a big hole in the ground. And it, that's what you know in your head. Uh-uh. Till you get there and look at it, you have no idea. I'm not even going to try. I have not with anybody. I'm not going to be stupid enough to try to explain it to you. You have to go see it for yourself. You cannot even comprehend how far across it is from the south rim to the north rim. You, you look at it and you think, that is surreal. I, don't, I, can't even, I can't even fathom it, much less how wide it is. Well, then get this in your head. For those of you who've been to the Grand Canyon, imagine that as the chasm or gulf that's, that sin creates separating you on the south rim and God on the north rim. That's how far you are from God. You are separate and you can't get across. Sin separates us from God. The second thing that you need to understand is that a sinner is under the judgment of God because of his sins or because of her sins. Now, 
This is the part where a lot of pastors, you know, they're afraid, you know, can't talk about hell, can't talk about judgment. You have a visitor there, they'll get all upset. Look, if I'm sick, I go to the doctor, right? So if you're here in church today and you're not saved, you, you need Dr. Chris and you need Dr. Jesus, all right? So you need to just hear the truth, okay? Don't sugarcoat it for me, doc. Just tell me like it is, all right? One of my dad's greatest jokes, a guy went to the doctor and he said, doc, it hurts when I go like this. The doc said, well, don't go like that. It, it's an old joke. All right, so you, so you got to know the truth. So here's the truth. If you're a sinner, you're under condemnation, you're under the judgment of God. Look, no, no captured criminal wants to hear the judge pass judgment on their crimes. But it's necessary for justice to occur. Okay? And so um, you, you, you can't say... Um, well, all right, let me tell you this. this something from the, you know I like sports. You know I like football. Um, this week I got ill at Aaron Rodgers, quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, okay? All right, my wife likes Aaron's eyes. I'm telling on her. She, she enjoys looking, and I give her a hard time. And all you ladies right now are going, uh, shame on you. So anyway, <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, and I, you know, but I liked him because he's a great quarterback, and you know everything, and he does the funny commercials, you know, with with his agent. You know, if you watch TV, I love all that. But I'm I'm put out with him right now, because Aaron Rodgers did an interview recently, and he talked about his parents. And here's the bottom line: his parents tried to raise him right. Now they might have been ultra religious and turned him off. So then that may be the other side of the story. But the story is they tried to raise him right and raise him in a Christian home, raise him right, and instead he rejected that and revolted against that. And maybe there's a reason that he did. I'm gonna you know give him the credit. But in the course of it, he's never gone. Look, if that happens, you're a grown man. Go look for yourself. Stop letting your parents dictate what you believe. Go find out for yourself. They got this thing called Google. Right? Okay. So, but instead, he's just made so that, and I think you do that, you blame your parents and then you stay in sin. I'll preach it, Pastor. Go ahead, call us out. And, and so he was in an interview, and he said, yeah, and I don't believe it all that now. And, I, and this is what he said, basically, is how can a loving God send people to hell? Ah, oh, the classic, there you go, Aaron. You bought into the thing that millions of people say. How can a loving God send people to hell? Well, here's the thing. A loving God doesn't send people to hell. A loving God is also a holy God who's the righteous judge, and God can love you at the same time while passing judgment on you and saying, I love you, but you broke the law, and there's not a thing I can do about it, and you're going to have to pay the price. You, you break the law and stand before a criminal, and the judge just, I mean, for a judge is a criminal, and the judge just happens to know you. The judge is on the bench and says, what are you doing here? This says that you robbed a convenience store, stole the money, and you shot and killed somebody. What are you doing here? You used to come play at my house with my kids. I loved you like my own. And you may be thinking, if you're the criminal, oh, yeah, I'm going to get away with it. He's going to, he knows me. He'll pass me. And, and, you, and, you, and you may say, judge, well, can, you know, can you give me some leniency? And the judge will say, No. And you say, but why not judge? You love me. And the judge will say, yeah, I love you, but there are these things called laws. And my job is to uphold the law. And I can't violate the law because I can't be a judge anymore. If I'm going to stay true to my nature as a judge, then I have to uphold the law that you have broken. And even though it breaks my heart because I love you, I have to, you have to pay the penalty and I have to pass judgment against you for your crime. So stop making God some loving God 
that is just being a meanie. He is the righteous judge of all mankind because every sin we commit is not against some dude in a 7-Eleven. Every sin we commit is against him. Just be fact, thankful for the fact that he still loves you. Stop saying, how can a loving God send somebody else? You should say, how can God still love somebody like me? Oh, you ain't. I need to get back to my notes. I'm giving you hors d'oeuvres right now. You're getting mozzarella sticks. Let me get back to this. No sinner wants to hear the judgment of God or eternity in hell, but God the righteous judge must condemn sin in us and a sinner must pay the penalty of death. And that's not, you know, happy thoughts, but it is what it is. Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel 18.20, the soul who sins shall die. Revelation 21.8, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immorals, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And you may say, but I'm a good person. No, you're not a good person. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not bad compared to, like, Leah likes, how many of you ladies like investigation discovery? Okay, take names of these people because if anything suspicious happens and that family, we already know who did it. I've already said if I die a suspicious death, Leah did it because she just watches all these shows. I just, every once in a while I'll go in there, I'm like, how do you watch this? I would go crazy. So she watched the three-part series on Aaron Hernandez, the football player, okay? And she watched, oh, some of you have been watching it too, right? You people scare me. You scare me. So she, I didn't watch it, but she watched it, you know, and, and you may say, I'm not Aaron Hernandez. No, but everybody in this room is breaking every one of the Ten Commandments. He said, no, I haven't. I've never killed anybody. Yeah, and I love to say this. You know, this is my thing. But I'll say, yeah, but have you ever gotten so mad at somebody that at one time, all it takes is one time, you said, oh, I hate them so much, I wish they were dead. Uh, have you ever done that? Because if you did, you, you committed it in spirit. Jesus himself said that you don't have to have, you know, the, the literal sexual act with, with another woman to commit adultery. If you just played the lewd play thing all out in your mind, go x-rate it all out looking at another woman that's married to a man, you've already committed adultery in your mind and your heart. Ooh, it's got quiet in here. But you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. We need to know the truth today. Everybody in this room, y'all, and let's don't even go about dishonoring your, your father and your mother because y'all sass more times than you know what to do, right? Sneaking out in the middle of the night. Can I tell you, Jaron? I got up one night in the middle of the night, and I went upstairs for something. I just couldn't sleep. When I was in, Jaron's light was on his room, and I opened the door, and he was up, dressed, heading out. I said, where are you? It's like 3 in the morning. I said, where are you going? Uh, he said, all of a sudden, he went, uh, I'm sleepwalking. I'm sleepwalking. <laughs> I said, you are not sleepwalking. I don't know where you're going, but take your clothes off and get back in bed. You're busted is what you are. My son's going to look for another church, and Evan's going to quit if I keep telling all these stories on them. <laughs> now I'm giving you fried mushrooms. Let me get back here. i got to get back. A sinner is in desperate need of redemption. 
right? This cannot occur with currency in the world's market. There aren't enough jewels or pieces of property adequate to buy back your sin and cleanse you of your sin. Y'all, redemption from sin demands the blood of a clean lamb, and Jesus is that lamb. One day John the Baptist was doing his thing. Some of his disciples were there, and Jesus walks up the crest and breaks the, the horizon, and John sees him and all of a sudden cries out, Look! Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. <laughs> I love that. You got to be redeemed by the Lamb. We sang this morning, Pastor Billy did it again, man. They just, he gets these songs and he doesn't even know what I'm preaching. Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. But the Lion is the Lamb. And, and, and let me just teach you something here. This is really cool because, you know, we talked about the firstborn male. So let me just teach you this. Jesus is identified as God's firstborn son, right? And then we are the, we're the offspring. of. See, he's the older brother. And then we're the brothers and sisters after him. So God the Father obviously did not create Jesus or sire Jesus. They're, they're not. They quote, it's, they're one. But you have these three persona and those those titles, those roles like Father, Son, Holy Spirit are really more for us, okay? So he is the begotten Son, the firstborn Son for humanity. So check this out. Just as the firstborn Son had to be sacrificed for the redemption of a donkey, Jesus, the firstborn Son of God, came sinless and clean and gave his life for the redemption of us. Is that cool or what? You see how it all just ties together? So he died to save us from our sins and the penalty of death. He died to buy us back as a gift to the Father. He died to give us eternal life. His death, his blood, his sacrifice cleanses me, redeems me, removes God's judgment from me, makes me righteous before God. How many of you remember when you got saved? Do you remember all that happened to you? Okay. All right, so I got to hurry. I want you now to go in your Bible, on your app, your phone, whatever you're, and I want you to go, I'm going to break the rule of homiletics. You're only supposed to stay with one text. I'm going to break that rule right now, and I'm going to go to an entirely different text, but it's okay. There are no homiletic police, so we're okay. Go to, go to Matthew chapter 21. And it's on the screen so you can read it, but I'm going to preach from there fast and I'm going to conclude, okay? But I want to read this, Matthew chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. This is about Jesus and the disciples. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her, loose them. And bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, excuse me, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, 
a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a great, very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? And so the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. All right, so let me just tie this together. So the donkey is a symbol of the sinner, right? Let's carry this over into this story. If you just read this story in the surface, it's descriptive. But there are some deeper spiritual truths here that I want to pull out. One, Jesus says, Go to this city, see a donkey that's tied up, loose it, and bring it to me. Church, I will not stop challenging you. I will not because it is my calling as your shepherd. I will continually strive to say to you time and again, our role, our primary responsibility as the church of the living God and you as a born-again believer is to leave this place and go into restaurants and stores and places of employment and, and talking to clients and customers and in your neighborhoods, your neighbors, and with your family members, you are to go and when God opens the door, you are to step through it and the opportunity is afforded and you tell them the story of Jesus and you tell them your story and you tell them what God has done in your life and you minister them, watch this, so that you can loose them from the darkness and loose them from the chains that they're in and you can say, come here, there's somebody you need to meet and you bring them to Jesus and you say, here he is. I told you what he did to me and he can do the same thing for you. You loose them and you bring them to Jesus. That's what we're all about. How many people have you witnessed to in the last six months? More than that, how many opportunities have you had in the last six months where God opened the door, this is going to make you feel bad, and you knew that you should have said something, done something, but out of intimidation, out of fear, hesitation, the moment passed and you missed it. Leonard Ravenhill said the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. I pray for you constantly. You have no idea. I constantly, almost daily, I pray for you. And I say, God, open up doors of opportunity for everybody at high praises, wherever they are. Open up doors of opportunity. Make them interact with people that aren't saved. And those people say, I, you're a Christian, aren't you? God's been dealing with me. Can you tell me about Jesus? Can you tell me what can God do for me? I'm struggling. I'm wrestling. I'm desperate. And I said, God, help our folks to walk through that door and say, yes, I, I may not get it all right. I'm not a theologian. But, but, but listen, I'll tell you what he's done for me. And I think I can tell you what he can do for you. You can do it. Loose them and bring them to Jesus. And then Jesus said, if somebody questions you and says, wow, what are you doing taking that donkey? All you have to do is say, oh, it's okay. The Lord needs it. You know what the devil says to sinners? God doesn't want you. God doesn't need you. God doesn't care about you. Look at you. Why would God want you? And then simple people say, yeah, why would God want me? Look at me. God hates me. I mean, I know the way I live. I know what I do. I've broken every commandment. You don't have to preach to me. I know. You want me to tell them? I can list them to you. 
I mean, why would God want to have anything to do with me? And see, that's the mindset. When here's, here are the words of hope and love. You ready for this? I get the joy to say this because I've read the Bible so I know his thoughts. His thoughts are, yeah, you're a sinner, but I love you. And I hate your sin, but I love you. And I created you to have fellowship with me. That's the whole reason you're living, okay? And yet you're not, and I, I, I know you're miserable, and my heart is broken for you. But if you'll let me, I will change you. And if you'll come to me, I will save you, and I'll wash your sins away, and you can be in right fellowship and relationship with me because that's what we were created to do, and God needs you. He needs you because he created you for relationship. He said, I don't think God needed anything. Okay, so technically, yes, he doesn't need anything. But he is a relational God, and he created you for that relationship. And so if he took the time to make you, then you must matter to him. And he needs you if he made you. Does that make sense? All right, got to quit. And, then, and so the disciples took the donkey to Jesus and they laid their clothes on him, which I love that symbolism because they took the clothes of a disciple and put it on the donkey. And when Jesus saves you, you are no longer whatever you were before. Now you're known, your identity changes and you are a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. And so they, he gets on the donkey and then he rides into Jerusalem. And this is my last point. In the Old Testament, you got to understand this. This is really important. In the Old Testament, kings would ride, a king would ride a horse when going into battle. But he would ride a donkey when he came in peace. You knew what the intentions of the king was relative to what he was riding. You don't want Jesus coming to you on a horse. You don't want him coming as the, have you read Revelation any? You do not, with bloods everywhere, you do not want Jesus coming to you on a horse. Because that means judgment. That means death. And if you don't get saved he's, and you die in your sins, he's coming to you on a horse. But the great thing is, if you look to him now and you humble yourself and say, God, please forgive me. I need you to redeem me. He'll come to you on a donkey. And he'll come in peace to save you and become the king of your heart and life. Okay, and so they bring the donkey to Jesus. In every sense, well, let me say this. The donkey is a beast of burden, right? Y'all know that? Beast of burden. Something back in the 60s or something, there was a song about a beast of burden. So don't go there. But they're, you're a beast, so it's a beast of burden, okay? It's made to carry things. Listen to me. I'm just preaching fast. You're a beast of burden. You're a donkey. But you were not made to carry sin around every day, every moment of every day. You weren't made to carry guilt for all the things you've done. You were not made to live, carry every moment, go to bed at night with fear of waking up, dying in your sleep and waking up in hell. You were not made to carry around the shame that you have for the things you've said and what you've done and how you've behaved. You were not made for that. You were made to be a Jesus bearer. You were made in the image of God to convey the image of God. You're supposed to make people think about Jesus. But when sin came in, it shattered the image. But Jesus comes and restores the image. That's why we talk about being in Christ. So you have a new identity. And so when people look at you, 
they should see Jesus. So when people look at you, do they see Jesus? I want to finish with something that hopefully will resonate with everybody here. We, we live in a secular age. Our country is postmodern, late modern. It's humanistic. We're post-Christian, late Christian. We've got to accept that. The church has lost its voice. We've got to get it back. And we better get back to just being the church. Some argue that the most fundamental narrative of our secular society is that of identity. What one man labeled expressive individualism. Expressive individualism. You see it in the number of selfies that people take. Why do you women pucker and kiss it that just stop doing that? Just stop. It's creeping me out when my members are blowing kisses at me. <laughs> Don't do that. You are too old to be doing that, okay? I'm serious. I'm going to be taking names. I'm serious. <laughs> okay. Selfie, selfie, selfie. So now, if you're at the Grand Canyon, take a selfie. That's one thing. But if you, you just, you just, every day, you got a new selfie. You're, you got something wrong. Okay, you're a narcissist. I'm sorry. And nobody wants to see your new hair, new outfit, every day that you change. And nobody wants to see all that, okay? You are consumed. Well, it's just my right. I can do whatever I want to do. Ah, see, now we're getting to the core of our secular society is that I'm allowed to express my individualism any way I want to. Boy, we've seen the extremes of it, aren't we, in our society. Let me just say something to you. That may be true for sinners and the rest of our secular society, but it is not true for us. You don't get to express yourself any way you want because you don't belong to you. You belong to him. You have to express yourself the way he wants. Now, does that mean that everything's regulated? Absolutely not. You can express things that you like or whatever. But, but when it comes to character or when it comes to the reflection of qualities or the lack thereof, God said, I want you to shine. That's why he's the light of the world, and that's why you're the light of the world. He, he, he is truth, and that's why you have to tell the truth. He, he is love, and that's why we have godly love and concern for people that sometimes we don't even like because we're reflecting him. Are you getting this? It is, th this narrative of identity is seen in, in uh, our pursuit of money, looks, power, success, sophistication, romantic love. We see those as necessity identity factors. You hear it when people say, you have to be yourself and not worry about what anyone else thinks. And the problem is this narrative is gripping some people in the church. But here's, here's the closing thing I want to share with you, and we're going to come to the altar fast. That day when the donkey... Jesus is on the donkey coming in the triumphal entry and all the people before and after and everybody's doing all this. Did, did everybody say, ah, oh, look at the donkey. What a pretty donkey. That's so precious. That's a cute donkey. Jesus, where did you get your donkey? Look at that donkey. He's got clothes on. Somebody take a picture and post it. Is that what happened? 
Did all the men, because that would be like girl stuff. Did all the men say, hey, check out that donkey. That's a pretty good donkey. Hey, Jesus, where'd you get that donkey? They got any more of those down there at the donkey car lot? How much you want for that donkey? I could really plow my field with that donkey. Hey, how much you want for that donkey, Jesus? Is that what happened that day? No. Nobody said, look at the donkey. Everybody said, look at Jesus. Y'all, we got to get back. I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm trying to behave. But the church in America has lost its way because we're too busy drawing attention to ourselves and our flesh. We got to get back. If, this, if anything's going to happen in this country, and I know all we got is right here in the upstate in Anderson, but we could start something. A revival might start here. We better get back to crucifying our flesh, and we better get out there in the public and all the places we are, and everything we say and do and think and how we react, we need people to see Jesus. I want to be, I want to be out in public because people look at me and say, I don't know what it is about you. I don't know you, but something about you is reminding me of Jesus. Something the way you talk that makes me feel like I'm listening to Jesus. That The way you reacted right there, that's not the way normal people react. Something about that makes me think about Jesus. How we live and what we do and what we say, y'all, has the power. That's our power. Yeah. That they look at us and they say, so, look, even when you mess up and you do mess up, I mess up. I acted the fool one day this week. I ain't telling you what it is, none of your business. But I acted the fool one day this week. And afterwards, I thought, you an idiot. Why'd you do that? But what I've learned is even when I mess up, if I'll humble myself and say, God, I'm sorry. I messed up. Please forgive me. I repent. I don't want to do this again. And sometimes you have to go to somebody at work or somebody in your house and say, I'm sorry. I messed up. Please forgive me. You say, well, can you see Jesus in that? Absolutely. That's when they see Jesus the most. Because normal people don't do that. We just we do like Adam and Eve, and we just blame other people and make excuses. Come on, y'all. That's what you do in sin. But when you get saved, you say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And even when you mess up, they can see Jesus. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.